Amen. You may be seated. Once again, it is a privilege and a pleasure to be here with you. Um, I can happily announce that next week we'll be back to our regularly scheduled program as uh, Pastor Tony assumes the office um, again tomorrow um, after his sabbatical. But I hope you've enjoyed the summer series. I hope you've enjoyed our guest ministers and our uh, preachers as they have shared God's Word with us. I hope you've enjoyed uh, the book of John and have been uh, benefited by hearing Jesus tell us who He is. Because that is what we have sought to do this summer through these I Am statements. We've wanted Jesus Himself to declare who He is to His people. And I believe there's been a lot of uh, benefit and a lot of Uh, things to gain from that. But I think even more so than the others, today we're going to hear some truths um, that are encouraging and that are helpful and that are necessary for us as God's people. For today we're going to learn how we are connected to Christ. And because we are connected to Him, all of the statements He has made to this point pertain to us as well. When He says, I am the true vine, know that we play a part in that also. Christ has far more to offer than we do, and it is good news when He includes us in His plan. But before we jump into the text today, I do want to go to Him, for this is His text, this is His hour, this is His word, and I don't think that we can come before it without His help. So would you pray with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, keeper of all things, sustainer of the earth, the one who allows us to breathe in and out without even thinking about it. We thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for the privilege it is to read, study, hear, pray, sing, and share your word on a weekly basis. I ask that you be with us now. I ask for clarity. I ask that you soften our hearts and our minds, that you open our ears, that you let us hear your word and receive your word so that you may be glorified and that we may be more equipped to serve and to follow you. And for those that may be here that do not know you, may this serve as a weight upon their heads, may this serve as a heavy burden that they feel the pressure of, and may that call them to you. May that make them cry out and say, oh God, unless you save me, I will perish. And we pray this not because we hate them, but because we love them and because we want to see them saved. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 15. The text is also printed on the insert that you received when you got your bulletin this morning. You can um, get that out as well. There's also a brief outline there um, if you would like to follow along. This is the word of the Lord from the Apostle John to us today from John chapter 15 starting in verse 1. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you will bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This ends the reading of God's word. May he place these truths upon all of our hearts and bless the hearing of it. Jesus is continuing the same conversation he was having last week. In fact, this uh, could be seen as an extended sermon um, or set of teachings for the disciples. Uh, As we argued last week, they're most likely on the road to Calvary. They're likely walking and listening at the same time. And yet there are some things that we need to uh, think about Uh, Jesus brings up some new concepts here that we need to ponder before we truly jump into the text. The imagery of the vine may be new to a lot of us, but this imagery that Jesus is using here would not have been new to them. You see, grapevines would have been very common in their region during this time period. Um, I'm from the south. There's not a lot of uh, grape farming. Uh, The weather's not right for it. Uh, but we have a lot of um, tomatoes, and uh, I know that you must plant a stake in the middle of a tomato or put a cage around the outside to direct its path and make sure that it grows well, lest it run wild and damage the plant. And Jesus would have used this because they would be familiar. Um, Some of them may have farmed. Uh, Some of them may have uh, used... Um, grapes in their professions or uh, have used them uh, kind of like we do recreational farming. But even more so, if they would have been studiers of the Old Testament, they would have understood this concept of farming as well. I mean, Jesus uses in the New Testament this to describe uh, the fig tree. uh, He describes wheat. He uh, talks about all sorts of farming and the benefits thereof. But if you go to the Old Testament... Farming is almost always used of Israel, especially the concept of the vine. And so as the the disciples heard this and they thought back to their Old Testament text, they would go, oh, so that's what he's talking about. But the problem with that is, is it wasn't used in a positive light. You can go just about anywhere in the prophets and they all, or most of them, use this concept. You can look at Hosea. Excuse me, and see that Israel became a prosperous vine. And yet he goes on to say that prosperity led them away from God. Um, If you heard in Galen's prayer, this is a danger that's very true to us today. The temptation that we've become so prosperous, so successful, so self-fulfilling that we have no need for the God who sustains us. You could go to Jeremiah and he says in verses, verse 221 of his text, I planted you as a choice vine from the purest of stock. How then did you turn degenerate and become wild? 
Time and time again, you could see how Israel was to be that vine that connected God to his people but failed. Thinking about my tomatoes, I learned this early on. Um, I tried farming, or that's not the right word, um, tinkering with uh, farming in college. Um, all I could do on my balcony was get five-gallon buckets and put little seeds in them and hope to get them to grow. Um, and I would plant tomatoes and peppers and the such. And the first year, I didn't do anything but just water them, and um, very little grew. Uh, the tomatoes did not take. And it was that year that I learned two truths. Uh, one, you must stake your tomatoes, or they will fall over, or they, they will wilt, or the fruit will become too heavy and break the branches. And two, if you're trying to farm on a concrete patio, uh, the sun heats the concrete and cooks the roots, and therefore depriving it of any nourishment. Um, and so I learned, and I, I hung them from a rope the next year, and I think I got three tomatoes um, that summer. Um, and quickly realized it was easier to get them from the store. But um, the concept was not lost on me. The concept of we must be grounded, we must have something to keep us going in the right direction. There must be something firm, or else we will run wild, just as Israel ran wild in the Old Testament. They sought idols, they sought their own gods, they went away from the Lord, and ultimately it would have led to their destruction if God had not intervened. And so when Jesus comes here and when he tells the disciples, I am the true vine, he is saying, I am the true Israel. I am what the Old Testament people were not. I would do what they could not do. I will complete what they could not. I will tie you to God as they should have but didn't. I will be that connecting point. Remember what he's told us this whole summer. Before Abraham was, I am He's saying that he is eternal, that he is the son of God. He is the branch of the stump of Jesse prophesied by Isaiah. He is the son of David long expected to come. He would fulfill what had been unfulfilled to this point. And as we're thinking about that, as we're thinking about Christ as the true vine and the true Israel, we need to realize here the text says that he is the vine. We are not. The church is not. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. It's up to Jesus to ground us in God. We're saved through him. Just like when he's told us, I am the good shepherd who takes care of my sheep. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the bread that if you eat of me, you will hunger no more. I am life-giving water. Drink from me and you will never thirst again. I give life. Jesus is echoing his own words here by reminding the disciples they must be rooted in him. And if they are, they're rooted in the Father. Their salvation is secure. Their identity rests in him. They will bear fruit. And this is important for us today because the same thing holds true. Trials will come to us if you look at the disciples, it's going to be about 24 hours after this that they begin to flee, that they begin to doubt Jesus and they begin to reject um, his identity and they go back to their professions. If you go to the end of John, Jesus has to find most of his disciples doing what he started them off or what they were doing when he started off their ministry together. We must remember in whom we are rooted 
And if we do so, we can face whatever the world puts before us. Our trials may not be of that nature, but we will face trials. And not just endure them. I'm not saying that we can suffer through them, but that we can be fruitful. That there is good that can come from the trials and the hardships and the heartaches of this world. For we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Because this is true, we take comfort But as we mentioned last week, we don't even end there. Christianity is not just conversion. Please don't fall into that trap. There is something for us to do. There is a next step to take. And this text tells us that if you are my disciples, you will bear fruit. We'll see several um, of these truths in the text. We'll see that truth, that we are to bear fruit. We will also see that we must prepare for pruning We will be encouraged by the call to prayer itself. And then we will end with the call to be obedient, which has attached to it a promise of joy. And I want us to unpack these truths in turn, beginning with the call to be fruitful. And as we see this, we once again must realize we cannot do this on our own. I know I sound a bit redundant here, but this bears repeating We must appreciate we are only fruitful because of Christ. Christ says that He is the true vine. We are not. His Father is the vine dresser. We're branches. Christ is true Israel. He adopts us and brings us in. It is His work that has even allowed us an audience with God. And the text issues very clear warning here. If you're not abiding in Christ... You dry up, wither away, you're gathered together and burned. It's an analogy for ultimate judgment. It's an analogy for an ultimate sentence upon those who reject Christ. We must not run the risk of thinking we're contributing or adding anything to our salvation. I think Pastor Nathan does an excellent job each week as we come before the Lord's table reminding us, do not come thinking you're contributing anything. Do not come thinking that you're adding one bit to your right and to your standing before God because you're not and you can't. But that being said, we are called to bear fruit. Don't miss this. I think the book of James explains this better um, than just about anywhere else in Scripture. He says in, in the first chapter of his book in verses 22 and following, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We just are called to do so remembering that it's only through Christ that we act. It is only through Christ that we do. We can only do because we are part of the vine. Our job is to be fruitful, though. The text makes this point very clear. It says so in three places. Verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Verse 5 says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. He once again in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. 
And so if we're called to bear fruit, if that's a mark of being in Christ, what does that look like? Well, if you go back to last week in chapter 14, Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And this week he follows that up by saying in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And so, what does it look like to bear fruit? It's to keep the commandments of God. It's to fellowship with Him. It's to spend time with Him. We bear fruit when we are in obedience to God's Word. Now, His Word isn't the only way that we abide in Him. We're also given prayer and the sacraments. These are means of grace that God give us to relate to Him, to get to know Him, and to follow Him. We're called to be a people of these graces. John Myers and I were talking this week, and um, we were uh, amused. He was sending an email um, to someone around the world for, uh, I believe it was tech support, and 10 minutes later, he got a response. And this is absurd if you think about it, how we can reach someone on the other side of earth within minutes with information, with communication. And it's astounding how much technology has changed and grown in our lifetimes, Um, especially uh, if you're older than me. But I can remember um, leaps and bounds being made in, in 28 years of life. And yet, we don't think about this, but God from the very beginning said, pray to me and I will answer you. Call out to me and I will hear you. Cry out before me and I will listen to you instantly. Faster than a text message, faster than a phone call, faster than an email. He says, cry out to me and I will hear you then and there. God listens when we pray and he hears us. We also get to grow in him as we take part of the sacraments. And that's a blessing that we get to do it each and every week. Please don't take for granted that we take weekly communion. I've been in churches monthly, quarterly, um, twice a year. And so that we get to do this on a weekly basis is a way we get to relate and draw close to Christ. But the beauty of these graces are um, his word and prayer follow us the rest of the week. We only take of communion here together or witness a baptism here together. But his word and his prayer, we get to take with us the other six days. We have them instantly. We have his word on our phone. We have on average three and a half Bibles in an American household um, for each person. And so we have almost immediate access to the Father. And as we are taking in those things, as we're consuming those things, as we are learning about him through his word, as we're communicating to him in prayer, as we're observing the sacraments and remembering what they mean, we are growing in him and therefore growing fruit. You know, I love Mondays. I really do. And I know that sounds odd because Mondays, um, as much as you trust the internet, has been voted hands down the worst day of the week. Um, There's been several polls and votes and it wasn't even a contest. It it wasn't even a, uh, you know, and there was no close second. But I love Mondays and I love seeing students on Mondays. I really do because they'll come in gloomy, sad faced, staring at the floor, shuffling their feet. 
how's it going? And their response is usually, it's Monday. Like, that's a, how is that a response? But it is, and it's become that in our society, right? And I love this, and I love seeing them do this because I have my own response. I'll say something to the effect of, you know, <clears throat> if you spent your Sunday glorifying the God of the universe and resting in His goodness, then you should be energized and ready and recharged to take on Monday. Often a gloomy Monday is from a misspent Sunday. And not to, to make fun of our youth too much. How, much, how many times have we adults fallen into the same trap? How many times have we learned about God, heard about His goodness, sang His praises, fellowshiped together, communed together, and then gone into Monday and acted like He's still dead? It's a danger that we all face. But when we spend time with Him, when we come in contact with His Word, when we fellowship together, we're changed bit by bit, little by little, day by day. We're being remade into His image. This is sanctification or the process of being made more like Christ. We'll never achieve it perfectly this side of heaven, but it will come. I look back ten, over the last 10 years of my life and I hope that people can see that I'm more like Christ now than I was 10 years ago. And if He gives me 10 more years, I pray that I look more like Him then than I do now. And if we're called to bear fruit and that's done by contact with Him and contact with His Word, <clears throat> what does the fruit look like? If we're told that we must do it, then we need to know what it is. We're not talking literal fruit here, for if we were, my fruit would be bananas. I love bananas. They're high in potassium. They're a great pre-workout snack. And in fact, um, and you can check the science on this, eat a banana, it will boost um, your energy levels quicker than a cup of coffee. It takes effect quicker. It's actually far better than coffee. And so if I could choose a fruit to bear, it would be that. But no, that's not what we're talking about here we're actually talking about something far better and far more challenging, the fruit of the Spirit. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, you've heard this list, but listen again. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is what it looks like to bear fruit. We must resemble this list. <clears throat> when we spend time with God through His Word, sacraments, and prayer, we begin to exhibit more of these. We want to exhibit more of these. <clears throat> because naturally, we're very selfish people. We're very self-centered. We want to please ourselves. And yet, the more time we spend in contact with God, the more selfless we become. We become more loving. We become more joyful. Now, patience is on the list, and patience is an interesting one, isn't it? The Bible tells us that we grow in patience by enduring trials. And when I was a kid, I was not a patient child. I wanted immediate gratification. I wanted immediate answers. I wanted problems to be solved immediately. And I remember several people saying, Aaron, you know, you need to start praying for patience. My mother... Uh, my grandmother, the pastor. It was a long list of people that were saying, you've got to get this patience thing down. And so I started praying, Lord, help me with patience. I want to be more patient. 
And you know how he answered it? He sent trial after trial after trial after trial. And as I was reading through my Bible plan, I finally got to the book of James. And I read these words. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I stopped praying for patience after that. I finally understood God sends us patience by having us endure trials. God makes us rely upon Him by putting us in situations when we can only rely on Him. And it's much easier to trust God when we've been through many trials. We have seen His faithfulness and can go back to it again and again. We don't doubt. We don't question. We know the Lord got me through this. The Lord was there through that time. Remember how he was faithful to us even in that season. And we look back and we go, God will be faithful now. If God could see us through that, he can see us through now. And that can be said of all of these characteristics. We're loving because we know the one who loves. We're kind because God has been kind to us. We exhibit self-control because God didn't destroy us the first time we broke his word. Young people, we must look to our elders in this. Some of the most godly people I have ever met on this earth are shut-ins. You know why? Because all they can do is sit, read their Bibles, reflect on God's truth, and pray. But here's something that's taken me a while, and I actually had someone tell me this. God has blessed me with a freedom from all else, so that I can devote all of my time to him. And those people are solid. Go sit with someone who has spent a day praying, and, don't, and, and I challenge you not to leave encouraged. Both of my grandmothers died very slow, very painful deaths. And until the Lord took their consciousness away, they were reading, studying, and applying God's word to make sure they were growing fruit. I've had a godly woman in this congregation who has all sorts of medical issues. And every time I see her, she tells me she's praying for me. That blows me away. That really blows me away. Not, can you pray for me? Or can you be with my situation? Or can you think about me this week? But I'm praying for you. That's bearing fruit. That's growing in God. That's growing in His goodness. We are called to do this, and we can only do so when we're in the Father through the Son. It won't be easy, though. Um, I would be um, incorrect in telling you that this is going to be simple. We're going to have trials from without. We're going to have trials from within. And even more than that, we're told that the Father himself will prune us. And I want us to think about that for a moment. This may sound painful. This may sound negative. For those of you that don't know, pruning is the process by which you cut back. You take a plant or a tree and you cut away branches. You cut away fruit. You cut away flowers. You trim it. You shape it. And it looks like you're destroying it. It looks counterproductive. But yet the end result is a stronger plant. The end result is a plant that can survive. The end result is a plant that can grow more fruit that is more beneficial for that which it has been uh, made. And so when we think about pruning, we may initially think about pain. But you must see the benefit. Even when I stopped praying for patience, the Lord kept sending me trials. Why? 
because I still wasn't patient. He knew what I needed even though I wasn't praying for it. And God good when he gives us what we need. You know, to this day, I still need this help. I can't sit before you and go, I've got it figured out. These last two weeks have been a testament to that. We as teachers came back to work a week and a half ago. We walked into the new building that's under construction and it's a huge blessing to us and it looked like it was a month from having students in it, much less a week and a half. If you walked in, you saw it and I'll be the first to admit it put me in a bad mood. It depressed me. It made me angry. I I went and I would sit in my room in a little tiny student desk, although I had my own desk, and I would just sit there And I would look around and I wouldn't want to do anything because I'm going to say this is pointless. And I was in despair. I found people to complain to because that made me feel better. And I was like, it's all hopeless. It's all lost. My wife came and put a day and a half worth of work in, putting all of my boards up. She would have done that anyway uh, because I'm not creative. Came in on Thursday. Wednesday, Wednesday. I didn't have any of my chair. I had to start putting my chairs up then, and class started on Thursday. None of them were in place. A third of my ceiling was gone. Thursday, there was my ceiling. There were my chairs. There were no construction workers in the hallway. There were no wires hanging from the ceiling. There was no water dripping in my room. The Lord knew this. It didn't surprise him. It surprised me. It didn't surprise him. And you know what? He almost instantly said, Aaron, why did you complain? Why did you worry? Why did you fear? Why did you doubt? And remember this. This is one of those mile markers. Next time. Next time something comes up. Next time something in life gets hard. Next time things get difficult. Remember back how I took care of something that seems almost miraculous. How I had a plan and how I executed it perfectly. And that's a comfort And I needed that. I need that constantly. The Lord knew that I needed that. Matt Chandler, a pastor and leader of Acts 29 Network, he said in a sermon on on this section of the book of John, the two times in his life that he grew the closest to God was when he was diagnosed with brain cancer and as he struggled um, during the first seven years of his marriage. He goes on to say, and I wish the Lord to not bring either of those back ever again. But you know what? In those moments when I could do nothing but lie in a hospital bed, I had to cry out, God, if you don't fix it, it's not going to be fixed. As I struggled in my marriage, if you don't see me through this, it won't be seen. If you don't do it, it will not happen. And God does that to us. Because he hates us? No. Because he loves us. We should rejoice at the pruning of the Lord. We must confess our inability and see his ability to take care of us because it serves a purpose. The text says that the purpose is that we will bear more fruit. He is making us more effective. And I want us to to take a moment and see one of the ways that he does help us in those moments. And I want us to see the call to prayer. Look back at verses 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We're told that whatever we wish, whatever we ask of the Lord will be done. Well, 
does that mean if I want to raise, I just should start praying for it and it's going to happen? No. What the text is saying is, as we're made more into the image of God, as we reflect Christ more and more, our prayers reflect Christ more and more. We begin to pray things like we have already recited today, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it already is in heaven. And that's the prayer that the Lord goes, oh yes, I will gladly answer that for you, my child. When we pray, Lord, make us more effective in sharing the gospel. Make us more effective in loving one another. Make us more effective in exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. He says, I would gladly do that for you. Because I love you. And it will glorify me. And we know this because of that second verse. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And we prove to be the disciples of Christ when we're being obedient to his teaching, when we're living close to him through his word and through the sacraments, and when we're sharing that with others. And when we're doing so, it brings glory to the Father, which models Christ's purpose. Christ brought glory to his Father. Christ obeyed unto death his Father's commands. And so we're told and called to live like Christ to exhibit that type of love. And in that, his Father will be glorified. Now, isn't it interesting, though, that we are told this at the exact same time that we're to prepare for pruning. In almost the same sentence, we're told, pray for my help, and by the way, I will prune you. We often think of prayer as a way of telling God one of two things. Thanks for everything, or disaster. It's either, you know, scale one or scale ten. Everything's great, and I thank you for it, or the world is ending, fix this, fix this now, we're all going to panic, and it's not okay. But how often do we say, thank you, Lord, for the day-to-day? Thank you, Lord, for the trials in my life. Thank you that you're pruning me. Yes, it may hurt. You are revealing sin, and I don't like that, but I know it's for my good. How many of us are going to stand in line for that prayer? Lord, reveal sin in my life. You know, if we're honest, a lot of us, well, we, would, we would say to the Lord, you know, I think I'm sanctified enough. I can stay at this level. Let's just, let's just stop it here. You don't need to work on me anymore. You don't need to, to reveal any more sin. You don't need to call me out anymore. Let's just coast. Let's just coast to the finish, Lord. But the Lord knows that we're most dependent upon him when we're least capable of doing it on our own. And that's something he's done in my life time and time and time again. We must follow the will of the Father as laid out by Christ himself. And there's one more call that we see in our text, and that's the call to be obedient. This call comes with a promise, and this promise does cover all of the the, uh, points we've seen today, but it's particularly attached to this one. And so we see the call to obedience attached to the promise of joy. Look again at our text and see how this unfolds. Verses 10 and 11. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus is again reminding us and reminding the disciples how they can abide in his love. This would be imperative They are mere hours away from abandoning Jesus. They are mere hours away from having their whole 
framework, their whole ideas and identity and their whole um, lifestyle turned on its head as they're each step getting one moment closer to the cross. And Jesus would be captured, tortured, tried, crucified, and buried. The disciples would question all of it. And yet Jesus had already prepared them for that moment. He has told them exactly what they are to do. Keep my commandments and abide in my love. In fact, here he says, um, Matt Chandler says, one of the most scandalous things in the New Testament. You are already clean because of my word to you. And they would forget this. They would forget this until he came back to them. But these truths that they were told beforehand, that they had to endure, um, that would prepare them for the trials that were to come. They would endure much greater ridicule and persecution than they ever imagined, but would also write the New Testament and would begin the church and grow it exponentially by preaching, teaching, proclaiming God's word and observing the sacraments. Jesus grounded this yet again in his obedience to his father. Jesus kept his father's commandments even unto death. And with his help, we can be obedient too. We can serve the father through the son. And he ends this part of the conversation with a blessing. He tells the disciples, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. His purpose in calling the disciples and calling them to bear fruit, endure pruning, pray to my Father, and be obedient is so they may be full of joy. Joy is a great thing, and it's not happiness. Do not mistake the two. Happiness comes and goes. We're happy about a good grade. We're happy about a goal we scored. Um, We're happy about so many things, a nice meal. But joy, joy last through trial joy lasts through persecution joy lasts through hardship i pray that you have people full of joy in your life for they are the ones when their life is falling apart when the the world bears down upon them they're saying you know what god has a purpose in this i may not know it i may not see it but he does and he will be glorified and they walk away and you just look at them dumbfounded going how How can they be that way? How can they say that? Do you not see the situation? Do you not see what's going on? It's because they have the joy of the Lord. It's because they know whom in whom they are. They know that they are part of Christ. They are rooted in God. I think of Paul. Um, If there was anyone who had endured great things for the gospel, it would be Paul. He was shipwrecked more than once, snake bit, stoned, run out of town, and on numerous occasions condemned to death for preaching and teaching the good news of Jesus Christ. He spent a large portion of his life under house arrest. He writes to his comrades, I am cold, I am hungry, I am tired, I am worn out. Please come. It is amazing what he writes. When he writes to somebody, he usually asks for some things, and it's usually a blanket, some Bibles, some books. And that you would just come visit for comfort. And yet, listen to what he says to Timothy at nearly the end of his life. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. 
Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all those who have loved his appearing. Despite all of these things, despite knowing that he would soon die for his faith, that he would soon end his life here, he says, I've done it. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've got a prize waiting, and I can't wait to get it. And yet, even in that, he's instructing a young pastor on what to do and how to prepare for the ministry. It's in those moments of difficulty, trial, hardship, and testing that we have to say, you know what, God, I'm not okay. And if you don't get me through it, I'm not going to get through it. But nevertheless, your will be done. Receive glory in the situation somehow, God. It's a lot like when Christ prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Christ says to us, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And my prayer for you is that you are abiding in Christ, that you are being nourished by the vine, that you are growing, and that you are producing fruit that others come to and go, wow, how are you like this? How do you exhibit this? How do you live like this? But once again, and I'll close with this, listen to the warning. If you're not, if you're not abiding in Christ, if you're not part of the vine, if you're not bearing fruit, he says these branches wither and die. They're gathered together and will be burnt in the fire. Be nourished by Christ. Grow in that grace. Listen to the one who says, I am. And remember from today, because he is, we are as well. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what scandalous words that you write to us that we can abide in you that we can be your children, that we can be sons of God, that we can relate to you, that we can grow in you, that we can learn to be more like you, the perfect God of the universe, the almighty creator. And yet that's exactly what you say. That's exactly what you have planned. That's the good news of this, this book. That's the good news for us today, that you call us to yourself. We don't do it. We don't earn it. There's nothing in our lives that says, I am worthy. You say, I have called you. Come, be a part of the vine. Be nourished. Thank you for the truths you have shared with us this summer. Thank you for the declarations of who Jesus is. And I thank you for this final truth that because of those, we have nothing but gain. We are called children of God because of Christ through the Father. Lord, strengthen us, encourage us, help us to endure these things through the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our hymn of response is hymn number 674. I invite you to turn with me there now. Please stand and sing, I need thee every hour. We'll sing verses 1 through 3.